Well, it's good to see you all in person. Thanks for joining us online. Love you guys out in the parking lot. Um, really, really excited. It seems like a year ago, everything was shut down, right? You remember the moments, and we had no idea what to expect, and boy, has it been a crazy 12 months. But uh, what's really, really neat is we prepare these next two weeks to get ready for a really significant moment in, in church life. It's the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus, which changes everything. If it's true, which it is, by the way, then uh, his words that he said were true. And if those words are true, that means the same power that he used to conquer the grave come back to life, which we'll celebrate. As this resurrection moment is the same power, the same spirit that's available to us, meaning Regardless of what you think about this, you might think this is the craziest thing in the world. Meaning the God of the universe and every bit of power and grace and love and mercy that he offers is available to us and available to work through us. Really, really, really neat stuff. Excited to talk about it, which is kind of where we've been for a while in the sermon series. So let me just remind you of everything real quick. We are going to be in Luke chapter 8 today, okay? That's uh, Gospel of Luke. And Luke was a... Uh, a doctor, real life, real person in history. This is not folklore. This isn't myth. This is legend. We can track down Luke. Real person. And something crazy about Luke is he was a doctor, scientist, well-educated and established his own practice. And what's really, really neat is this guy, his name's Theophilus. He hires Luke to go and do some research for him. Now, Theophilus is mentioned in the scriptures as most excellent Theophilus. Now, the word most excellent would have been something that would have been kind of set aside for uh, well-to-do, powerful uh, government officials. So we can deduce that Theophilus was probably a Roman official. And Theophilus is trying to figure out everything about life. Life was chaotic then like it is now, and he is looking for some places to have certainty, like you and I are looking for some places to have certainty. And so what Theophilus does, he decides to hire Luke to investigate this guy, Jesus. So this is a, a, a long haul, at least years, if not a decade, set of research that Luke does on this guy. And in Luke chapter 1, he tells us this, that he put together all this stuff, and he says he does it for one reason. You ready for this? He writes all these things so that you can have certainty. That's you and I. That's Theophilus. Can have certainty of the things that we have been taught. Theophilus, the things that you've been taught. And what he's talking about there is all the things that Jesus taught. Now, Jesus talks about salvation a good bit. We're going to talk about it today. We're going to help you understand what it means to be saved, all those kind of things. But the thing that Jesus talked about the most in all the scriptures, the thing that Luke wants us to have certainty on, is the thing that he taught the most, which is the kingdom of God. And here's the craziest thing about the kingdom of God. It, kingdom of heaven. It's used 92 different times in the gospels, kind of interchangeably. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. And it's not some place you get beamed to when you die. Now, you probably heard the story, you pray the prayer, and one day when you die, you'll get to go to God's kingdom and the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, whatever it is. And that was a, that was a belief by lots of different worldviews that believed that there's some afterlife that if we perform well enough, do the right things, all that kind of stuff, we get access to. And when Theophilus tells us, or when Luke tells Theophilus and us that he writes these things about this, writes these things so we can have certainty of the things we've been taught. One of the big, big transformational changes in all that was that Jesus was saying, there is a kingdom of God. There is a kingdom of heaven. And here's the craziest part of it. 
you can have access to it now. Here's what that means. That means today we can live in, participate in, in the kingdom of God. So Luke writes to Theophilus and us going, hey, you really want in? You want in? Let me tell you how you get in. I'm going to capture the words of Jesus. So Luke puts together 1,151 verses. And in those 1,151 verses, Luke quotes Jesus in 560 plus of them. You got it? So direct quotations of Jesus. And so what we've been doing for the last seven months is just reading through a little bit of the Gospel of Luke and just making some observations. So uh, we've been having these sub-series of trying to go, okay, what's next? How do we participate in it? Where we are, week three of the series called Sent. And it's really neat because we're going to end up the week after Easter seeing Jesus who's you know, gathered his first followers and he's going to establish something that he calls his apostles, the sent ones, and he's going to take them. He's going to split them up in pairs and he's going to send them out with nothing, by the way. He tells them not to take their wallet, not to take their purse, not to take their hotel reservations. And he sends them out. And it is kind of the ignition switch of the transformation that set off this, this domino effect that's lasted 2,000 years so far of him sending it through people, sending people out to usher in and participate in the kingdom of God. And so if he's going to send them out, it makes sense that he's going to prepare them to be sent. And so we're kind of in the part of the scriptures before we get to Luke chapter 9, where Jesus is preparing his disciples to go and participate in the kingdom of God. And he explains something to us, really, really important, so we can understand it, of how the kingdom of God is ushered in. And it doesn't make a lot of sense at first glance. It seems a little weird, but the more you think about it, the more it makes sense. And here's what he tells us. He tells us in the scriptures, and this is my summation, there's kind of these four parts of this, right? The way that you get in the kingdom of God is you access it through faith. Now, the problem with faith is it's believing and obeying even when your senses tell you otherwise. It is walking with a blindfold, ho- hoping that God's words are true, right? But the important part of you're walking with a blindfold and trying to take directions You have to hear the directions well. Got it? So faith is believing and obeying even when you have doubts, even when your senses tell you otherwise. And so the way by which faith is activated in our life and the kingdom of God is activated in our life, really, really, really neat is this progression. First, you hear about it. That's why this is so important this morning. Why it's so important that you are tuning in online for the next 35 minutes, right? That you hear about it. You receive this, right? Because the way that this gets initiated, both for the first century apostles and for us, is it's spoken. It says hearing comes, and I'll I'll double down on this. You'll hear it in just a second. Hearing comes from the word of Christ. So Luke is going to give you 568 of his words, because first you hear about it. Now once you hear about it, Jesus says, be careful how you hear these things. There is a response, and the way that we respond when we hear is actually to think. That's really, really important, because in the scriptures, when it talks about changing the way you think, it uses the word repentance. It literally means to do a renovation in your mind, right? Eventually, your beliefs will change as you think about it and repent, right? And as your beliefs change, your behaviors will change. And as your behaviors change, right, your life will change. So the first thing that happens, you got to hear it. That's why this is so, so important that we kind of lean in as we open these scriptures and go, God, 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 would you help me hear this? And then you think about it. No, as you start to think about it and process it, there is a part of that for us and it's then we start to speak about it this is so so crazy that literally the words that come out of our mouth matter so a lot of us like to quote uh, saint francis of assisi he says wherever you go share the gospel and if necessary use words well i would just tell you that it is necessary to use words 
Got it? There's something about speaking this out. And as you speak it out, and actually speak about it, you bring about it. And at first it seems like that's some kind of psychological mumbo-jumbo, but we know this, right? The Scriptures tell us in the Old Testament that there's power of life and death in the tongue. You know it because there are some words that have just really, really hurt your heart. I told you the first week of this, and that this idea that sticks and stones will break our bones, but words will never hurt us. It's one of the top five lies that have ever been implemented by the enemy, right? We know that. And so we speak about it. And so Paul, who was Saul, this guy who hated Christianity, thought he was participating in God's kingdom for eternity by thwarting the move of Jesus and his first followers, Saul has this deep moment where he finally hears from Jesus. This is post-death and post-resurrection. Finally, Paul starts to think about it, Saul, and he gets a new name, he gets a new mission, and what you're going to see is he starts to speak about it. And what happens all over Asia Minor, all over Europe, is as he starts to speak about it with actual words and with written words that people would read out loud, what you see is you see the ushering in the kingdom. There's crazy movement through the first century, you know, nearly, or nearly 2,000 years ago. And so let me uh, kind of start with Paul's words, okay? So I'm going to read to you how he explains this. Now, a couple things to know about Paul is he's really wordy. I don't like people like that. I don't understand why you can't just be real quick and concise, but Paul has trouble with that. Luckily, you don't experience any of that here, right? And so um, Paul uh, writes letters, but he was a very active person. And until he gets imprisoned, which is where we get a lot of letters. And one of the things that uh, scholars believe is that Paul uh, dictated a lot of this. You know how you speak into a, um, like a tape recorder? So when I was working on my doctoral research, I wasn't trying to impress you with that because I'll tell you that I, I, I cheated on a lot of things. What I would do is actually would drive down the road and I'd, I'd say it all out loud and I'd record it. Then I'd take the recordings and then I'd send them to rev.com, Right? Yeah, I didn't really cheat. I mean, it was allowed. But uh, rev.com, and then they would type up the transcripts of my recordings, and they would mess. It'd be like 12 lines with one period, right? Because, and so then I had to send it to an editor to get lots and lots of help. So we're, we're working on that even on sermons. They go, can we get you this in, in you know, written form? But someone's just got to do a lot of work there because run on sentences. And the thing is, Paul kind of talked that way, right? So he would say something. Then he would offer some feedback on the thing you were saying to lots of parenthetical phrases so when you read the book of romans it's like what you know you got to kind of sit and you got to really hear it and you got to really think about it and so what i've been doing each week is i've been sharing a little bit of paul's words about this process about how do we live in the kingdom of god with faith how do we get saved that word like access the kingdom of god how do we do that how do we know we're in the kingdom of god for all eternity and paul explains this to us in romans chapter 10 but it is heavy and weighty. So I thought I'd read it to you. Don't, if your eyes glaze over, it's okay. The words are up there. We're going to cover a lot of it real quick. And then, 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 what I want you to understand is Paul is just helping us understand something that Jesus has already taught. So we're going to go back and look at where Jesus first teaches these concepts that we're about to read that I think will be really, really helpful for us because Luke wants us to have certainty of the things we've been taught. So Paul's trying to offer us certainty about Jesus' words. So here we go. Uh, Romans chapter 10. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, I keep reading some of that. So I started a little further down in Romans 10, went up a little further last week. And by 10, I don't mean like aluminum or metal. I'm talking about the number, right? Um, and uh, just from the South, that's how I say it. I'm trying to work on it, but it won't probably ever change. And so, sorry, y'all. And so what I keep doing is going up a little more. So we're going to start in Romans chapter 
10, verse 1. Here's what it says. Brothers. Now, this would be like um, the Spanish language. That would be all-encompassing. So this is brothers and sisters. That's why you see in your little notes, but no what translation, there might be a little, you know, a little asterisk or if you're reading the NIV, I think it actually includes both. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God um, for them is that they may be saved. You got this? So Paul's going, hey, we're talking about all-encompassing, everyone we encounter, even your enemies, even those who annoy you, even those who drive slow in the left lane, right? All those people, right? Paul's going, the desire, God's desire, my desire desire is that that would be saved, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So he's going, there's a lot of people, particularly in the church world, who really do want to please God. But here's the problem. They believe that the way by which they please God is by their activity, right? That we believe, a lot of us in the church, a lot of us out in the world, we believe our activity determines our identity. In other words, if um, how hard I work, how well I perform. And Paul's going, the problem is there's a lot of people that really, really do a lot of good things. They go to church every week. They write checks to the church. But the reason they do those things is because they think somehow when they perform those rituals, this guy and his daddy are more happy with them. He's going, but it's not the activity that determines your identity. identity. So Paul's going, they have zeal, but they, in their zeal, they're doing a bunch of stuff for the wrong reasons. They think they earn grace, but grace is a gift. They think they earn mercy, but mercy is not something you can pay for, right? And so what Paul's going to help us see is it's not activity that determines our identity. What he's going to go is, hey, there's a different way. It's actually who we are with Jesus as Savior that eventually that gets rooted as we hear about it and think about it and start to speak about it and start to bring about it, right? As that happens, what's happening here, you see this, there are three pieces of getting it right with identity long before it goes to activity. So Paul's going, there's a lot of zealous people, but they do this with the wrong knowledge. So how do you get the knowledge? Here we go. You hear about it. And how do you hear about it? From the word of God. So this is so profound to me that right now, God, the God of the universe, so crazy, but the God of the universe wants to speak to you, not just to your kid, not just to your spouse, not to the other people in the room. He, he has his heart and his mind set on you because he says, hey, they're doing all these things. They actually want to please God. They want to know God. They want to be close to God. They want to have some kind of experience of God. And I would say that's probably 90% plus percent of us, right? We want to do those things, but they do it without knowledge. So verse 3, it says this. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. They thought it was about their activity. They thought it was about their performance. And he uses the word ignorant here, and this isn't offensive. He's just saying, those without knowledge. So here we are. We get some knowledge here. For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. So he's going, hey, you thought it was, you obeyed the commandments. You do the Ten Commandments. You do all those things, and somehow God will love you more. No, no, no. The number one purpose of all the laws is to help you understand that you can't follow all the laws. So if you can't do all the things that God would have expected of you, where does that leave you? Either completely defeated or with a mind change that goes, well, maybe, maybe then I just got to look 
to God, right? And he says, so verse four, got it. In verse five, it says this, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. So on the, the ones that's based on activity first, not identity first, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them, right? So he, he's going, that was Moses' plan. He's telling you to live by these, hopefully to give you the awareness that you actually can't live by them. In verse six, but the righteousness based on faith, right? Believing, obeying, even when your senses tell you otherwise. Believing, obeying, even when you have doubt. says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend in heaven? So the, uh, Paul has a throwback to Deuteronomy going, hey, Jews that are listening to this, you know this. God has actually called you to pay attention and consider this before the first round when Moses was trying to help you understand that this reveals what's going on in your heart. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. So that term, who will ascend to heaven, was a euphemism of the day that basically said, it's the things that are unreachable, impossible. So he says, those of you who say in your heart that, ah, there's no way to please God. There's no way to know God. There's no way to be close to God. What you're really saying is, Christ didn't come down here. Christ can't go down here. She says, who can say those things, right? And then many people go, well, God, Christ came down. But that doesn't give us a way to get back to God. So watch what he says in verse 7. Or who, uh, um, or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. In other words, uh, this, this birth to death life where people go, well, you just make the most of it because then you die and it's the end. Because there's no way that you're coming back to life. And he's going, you don't... You don't understand that that's actually what Christ did, came up from the dead. So why would you say, who could do that, right? So verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you. Watch this. In your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Again, don't let your eyes get glossed over. I promise you I'll make sense of this in just a few minutes. Verse 9, because, watch this, yeah, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, see this, you will be saved. So as you hear this and you think about it, now what do you do next? You actually allow that to believe and ruminate and, you know, meditate and marinate into your heart. You believe these things. And what does it say? And then you confess these things. So if you confess with your mouth, there's something about speaking. Verse 10, 4. With a heart one believes and is justified. There is something about allowing this word to permeate your heart. And with a mouth one confesses and is saved. So where we've been the last couple of weeks is we've been looking at this teaching from Jesus. And the first thing he offers is this parable. And the parable is on um, different types of soil and the way that seed sprouts. And he tells us, hey, the seed is the word of God. Meaning this is going to go out. And if it can get into that heart, if you can allow it into your heart, then you can allow it to grow. And he explains that there's different types of soil and different types of hearts. There's, uh, you know, hardened hearts that won't let it in. There's shallow hearts that it comes in, but the minute life gets hard, you kind of turn away from these things. And a lot of us, there's a divided heart, meaning you're trying to live this and you're trying to let the Lord be the Lord of some of your life, but not all of your life. So Jesus explains that. And then he goes a step further and explains how this happens. And he talks about light and he goes, the purpose of light is to illuminate both for you and the people that you can provide a path, a lighted path for. So he goes, the, the thing is that when this light shines, darkness flees. But a lot of times you want to block it out, but you don't really want to come face to face with your own depravity and your own brokenness. And so he goes, hey, the way by which all this works is 
The word of God goes out and you hear about it. That's light into your heart. But you don't just shut it down. You don't just, with contempt, go, that's not true. You start to think about it and go, God, God, is that true? And you allow it to go all the way down your heart, right? I told you last week, there's a song called Anthem by Leonard Cohen. And then it says this, there's cracks, there's cracks in everything. But that's how the light gets in. You see, we spend all of our time and energy trying to put duct tape on the, uh, you know, the cracks and then putting stucco on the outside of the duct tape to make our, our life look better. But what really is happening is mold and mess is getting all in there and just destroying us. But boy, do we look good on the outside, right? And so, so light comes in and the way we respond to God's word determines how this happens. So what happens is it comes in the way that Jesus described it. Is he talks about when the seed comes in with patience, it grows into a tree, a fruit, and fruits with deep roots but you hear that like it's with patience so this is slow maybe even arduous at times and so god is always doing something big but the way that he describes what he's doing is starts as a seed where you allow it into your heart so you allow it into your heart and as you receive it and think about it what do you do next you start to talk about it confesses with one's mouth and one is saved verse 11 for the scripture says everyone who believes and him will not be put to shame. You see? Everyone who believes these words will have a different identity. You get this? It's identity then that will determine your activity. And then he goes on to continue explaining this. So let me just read the rest of this. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, meaning we're all the same. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his rich, riches on all who, see that word? Call on him. Hear about it. Think about it. Speak about it. For everyone who calls on the Lord is saved. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? So there's something really important. Okay, so everyone who hears this and calls about it, there is salvation available to them. So Paul asked the question, well, what about the people who haven't done this yet? How are they going to hear this if they, if, they don't hear, and if they don't hear it? They'll never be able to believe it, right? And how are they to believe in him uh, of who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, speaking, right? So as we speak about it, guess what happens? As we speak about the Word of God, someone else is hearing about it. You got it? And so it just, it's cyclical. It just keeps happening, and it goes this. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? See this? Three more weeks of this, preparing to be sent, as it is written. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You see, our identity our identity being rooted in Christ determines our activity, and our activity means we'll go sent. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And this is really interesting. As Paul would have written this, they would have been like, same thing as you. You're like, ugh, feet, ugh, right? The idea that he's saying feet are beautiful is an interesting juxtaposition. And then Paul kind of lands a plane saying, so faith comes from hearing, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Got it? So Paul's explaining this. So now what we're going to do is we're going to go back to how Paul got this understanding, and this is Jesus' teaching. So we've just kind of came from a place where Jesus has taught on uh, hardened hearts and shallow hearts, and then he's given us this imagery of light that we got to let it in. Then immediately following that, it says that Jesus is going to go and rest. There's a reason for this. Um, in fact, this past week, he saw what family is supposed to be, and Jesus says, anybody who hears these words and does them, it's in my family, meaning that's your identity. When you hear this and go, I believe that, and you start to think about it, and you start to speak about it and bring about it, guess what? We are rooted in Jesus as his family. And so all this happened, what it told us last week is there were such great crowds that Mary, his own mother, and brothers and sisters could not get to him. And this is astonishing, guys. 
because these are tiny little towns of like 50 people. Capernaum may have had 100 people, may have had about eight to 10 families total in it, right? And so people are coming from all over to this little bitty town, this Galilean area. And this is nuts. This is not normal. People don't congregate in this way for these reasons. And all these people are coming. And you can imagine, Jesus is pretty tired. So uh, what happens is, is he's about to go take a respite and rest for a little while. And the way that he's going to do it is he's actually going to hop on a boat and sleep in this tiny little cabin. The cabin isn't like what you think in your, you know, your little cabin cruisers. This is a tiny little bitty spot, just a little bit outside of the, the, the weather. And so he would have been cramped. And so the idea that he's going to be sleeping in this is pretty crazy. So let me just read it to you. All the crowds are there, and Jesus is going to go across the Sea of Galilee. I'll show you some pictures in just a second so you can get a picture of it. But here's what happens. I'm in Luke chapter 8, reading in verse 22, and it says this. One day, after all this craziness, he got into a boat with his disciples. And he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out smart them. When Jesus says to do something, I would just recommend it. So I want you just to see, it's going to be kind of rolling in the background. If you're online or out in the parking lot, you're going to lose me for about a minute and a half, and I'm going to keep talking. But I just want you to see this, this location. So here's the Sea of Galilee. Some of the interesting things to think about here. This is drone footage of the day right now, like uh, the last couple of years. And um, it's 12 miles long by six miles wide. So this isn't some tiny little lake right? And one of the things that would happen is in the afternoons, evening, sometimes in the morning, there would be these big, like, kind of like squalls of wind that would come. And if you notice, they are actually in a sailboat. It says that they are going to sail across to the other side. So wind and sails are sails. I can't say that word either. Those are, those are, um, those are not a good mix if it's strong storm. So this is about to happen. You're about to see it. And so they're riding across the side. And it's deepest. Even today, the Sea of Galilee is about 200 now, this is one of the greatest water sources for the entire region, and there's been multiple droughts throughout the centuries. And most scholars would tell you, most, you know, people over there now would tell you that the lake was much bigger and much deeper in Jesus' time. So the seashores have kind of, you know, kind of recited. In fact, they found some really neat boats and, you know, artifacts from this. So you've got this 200 feet deep deal. And so this is a big, big thing. And in the scriptures, you're going to hear it called several different things. In the Old Testament, sometimes it's called Kinneret. And in the New Testament, uh, you're going to see it referred to as the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Kinnereth. There's a reason for that. It's so big that every little shoreline had its own little town, and they called the lake by its own little, you know, shoreline. And so this was a huge place. Now, Jesus spent a lot of time here. This is Galilee. 19 of his 32 parables were shared here. He taught them here. And so as you see the imagery, what you're going to see is there's a lot of pictures of water and, you know, and, and farming land. And so Jesus, so brilliant, taught with icons. He taught with imagery. And so he is standing on these shorelines and he's giving parables about water and fishing and giving parables about, you know, soil and farming because that is how he would have been talking to him so 19 of the 32 are there you can pull that down thanks david and this is what it says next and as they sailed he fell asleep remember this is not a, uh, they're not rowing right now the the sails are what's determining how it gets to the other side this is a big lake there's you know six miles across is a scary place to be being three miles out in there is very dangerous with 200 feet and you know deep they did not have life jackets. Got it? So these guys are going, Jesus is sleeping, and a windstorm came down on the lake. 
and they were filling the water and uh, filling with water and were in danger. This is terrible. First Vance, you can read this and think they're being melodramatic. They are not. This is, this is, this was not a wise thing to do for most people. You would not have been that deep in that way with that wind at that time. Got it? So this is a, this is a dangerous place to be. And so you can imagine what they're uh, feeling. Lots of fear. So f- water fear uh, fills the vessel. And as the water fills the vessel, fear also fills the vessel. And watch what it says, verse 24. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master. Every time you see this double word in the scriptures, it means they are affirming and, you know, exclaiming whatever it is they're saying as truth. So they're calling him Lord in this moment. In this moment, they're filled with fear. They have some awareness, right? So they're out and about, and all of a sudden, for some reason, they come to the conclusion that things are not going to end well for them on their own. So they go, and they wake Jesus. I don't know what the conversation was like. I don't know if they're like, hey, you wake him up. No, you wake him up. And they just stand there and stare at him for a while, like my kids do, and then he opened his eyes, and they're just like looking at him. I don't think it's any of that. I think they were so afraid in that moment that the first one who could get Jesus up was going to get him up, right? So they, they, and so they woke him saying, master, master. And you see this word here? We are perishing. Word really, really important. It means permanent destruction. Permanent. Like this is not something we'll come back from. This isn't a sprained ankle. We are perishing. We are about to die. I don't think they're melodramatic. Circle that word perishing in your Bible or write it down in your notes or whatever it is because we're going to come back to it because it's really really important. You're going to see some other places that Jesus uses that word perishing as we wrap up. And he says, we are perishing. And watch this. And he, that's Jesus, awoke and rebuked the wind. We've seen this word show up in the scriptures in other places. That word rebuke literally means to assign value to something. So when we see this this moment, when it says he, he, um, he rebuked that, it literally means he is establishing himself as higher, more valuable in control and authority over those things that are natural. So literally, he is assigning value. And here's what's so weird. We'll see here. Next week, we'll see it with the supernatural. We see Jesus is Lord of the natural, which is interesting because there's a lot of things that we want to give Jesus, you know, authority over. A lot of things. For example, eternal life. Got that one. You can't get to heaven, right? So you read, heard the thing about uh, Romans. You're like, yeah, I've never said... Who can ascend? The only way this happens is with Jesus. Who can descend? The only way this happens is Jesus. You all know that you do not have the power to get from death to life. So either it's not possible or someone greater than us has to do it, right? The story of the gospel. That same power, I told you, that lives in Christ, that resurrection from the dead is available to us. It's the only way we get to experience the resurrection. We get to live in the kingdom of God now, but then we get to, get to experience it post-death in a glorious way because the spirit of the living God and, and fuels us, and that same power and resurrects us, right? And so we, we get that. That's supernatural. But we forget a lot of times, at least I do, that Jesus is also Lord of the natural. Like, for the most part, I mean, just be honest. Are you, and it's not awkward, but I think it's important. As you're preparing your beds right now for the spring and the summer, right? You're, you got your raised beds, or you got your farming. Like, are you asking the Lord to give you a good return so you can be good stewards of those things? Like, are you entrusting those things to God? Are you putting your attention there in that natural way? Or let me give you another one. Like, uh, naturally, like you argue with your spouse, right? You do. You do. Not all of you. Most of you do. If you have a spouse, 
Your kids really, really irritate you. And every now and then you'll just kind of spout out to them, right? In those moments, when you're arguing with your spouse, when you're trying to convince your spouse that their way's wrong and your way's right, you go, huh, this is pretty natural. Everybody does it. You know what I should probably do? I should probably actually invite God into this conversation. Instead of you trying to change your spouse, invite God in and go, hey, hey, will you have your way in this argument? I'm talking about in the moment. Have you ever thought to just pause and go, hey, instead of arguing about this, can we pray? Right, you understand how awkward that is. No, no, it's natural. Everybody fights, right? So we're really good at the, you know, beam us up into heaven later or if it gets to a place and with our bodies that we cannot overcome whatever the ailment is, we're pretty good at leaning into God then. But are we good at leaning into Jesus and seeing that he's Lord? He rebukes the natural things, meaning he assigns a much lower value to them than he assigns to himself. Do we, do we invite God into those things? By the way, if you're not a Christian, what a beautiful way to begin this thing. Okay, if you're really Lord Jesus, would you be Lord of how I sleep? Like, would you help me sleep? God, would you be Lord of how I garden? God, would you be Lord of the chicken in my backyard? It's like really neat way just to start praying and asking God to, to assign a value lower that he is Lord over and kind of chronicle it. Watch what God could do. I double dog dare you just to start there. So Jesus rebukes it, the wind and the raging waves. He rebukes them. He goes, you're not in charge. And then watch what happens. And they ceased. And there was a calm. This is so, so beautiful. Because this is actually what Jesus ushers in all the time. Peace. The whole idea of the kingdom of God, the whole idea of ushering it in, the whole idea of it is that it's ushering in a peace. The way the scriptures talk about in the Old Testament is shalom. It means completeness and in wholeness. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. That, he, that there's just this peace and there was a calm. He said to them, really, really important. Let me just see this. He said to them, really good question. Where is your faith? Meaning they have it. It's not like they've never had faith. They have faith. He's actually going, just what have you placed it in? So important here, guys, because you have faith. It's not hard for you to have faith, right? And so what he's asking is, where do you put your faith? And I think this is really, really helpful, and I think this is probably the case for you, but it's definitely the case for me. I believe it's the case for the disciples. They had faith. They had faith, for sure. But they just had faith in themselves. You see, the place that we put the largest amount of faith is ourselves, which is where this identity and activity get so confusing because we believe somehow if we perform well enough, we'll get established in the kingdom of God, or at least the kingdom of earth, or at least Josh's kingdom for me, right? And so he, he literally goes, hey, hey, hey. He asks them a question, right? Hear about it. He actually wants them to think about it. And here's the question he asks. Really, really good question for us. Where is your faith? You see, you have it. You have it all the time. I had it right now when I sat in this chair. You had it when you hopped in your car this morning, right? You had it as you put on your clothes and put on your mask. You have faith. So he's like, this isn't like, a, it's not, it's not really a new exercise, to, I mean, a new muscle to exercise. It's just a new placement to put it on, right? So where's your faith? And watch what they do. And it says, and they uh, were afraid, right? And they were afraid. So this is, that picture there is, this was a, a reverence. So they positioned themselves with Jesus as Lord, and they were afraid, and, this is, and they marveled. See that? They hear about it. Jesus asks a question. You see what they're doing now? They're thinking about it. And saying to one another. So now they're actually including each other in the way they speak and think about it. Who is, the, who is this? Who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? Jesus is the Lord of the natural. Next week we'll see. Lord of the supernatural. He, you see it? See how Jesus makes this happen? Do you see how he calms the storm? 
He literally speaks to it. You see the way that he ushers in peace? You see how he ushers in calmness? You see how he establishes his rule and reign and rebukes, assigns a lower authority? Do you see how this actually happened? He didn't like, you know, mix some potion. You got it? All he did was speak about it. And as he's speaking about it, what happens? Literally, he brings about calm in that moment. And as he's speaking about it and bringing about what's happening, the disciples, and now us, because Luke was so gracious to chronicle this. And the reason Luke was able to chronicle it, because he walked with these disciples and had eyewitness accounts, is because they spoke about it. And now we get to hear about it. And now we get to consider it. And we even get to consider that if this is true, if Jesus is Lord of the natural, then do I place my faith in Jesus in the natural things? You get to hear about it. And you get to think about it. And as you process this, all oh, you'll get opportunities to speak about it. You get opportunities in your family to speak about it. You get opportunities to declare these things to your wife or your husband and your kids or your grandkids or your co-workers. You get that opportunity. Oh, you'll get the opportunity as you think about it. When you go, nope, my faith is in Jesus and Christ alone in all things from my finances, right? Jesus is Lord. To my marriage and family, Jesus is Lord. To my job, Jesus is Lord. To the way by which I drive down the road and act in a car, Jesus is is Lord. Jesus is Lord of all those things. So you get to process this, and you get to think about it, and you get to ask yourself if you are placing your faith in each and everything, even in the natural. So, question for you today, all of you, regardless of whether you're a Christian or not, where's your faith? Are you saying who can descend into hell and overcome it? Are you saying who can actually get down to heaven and go back up? Who can ascend back to God? Are you you have any understanding about that? So, what's really neat is what activates this? This is so, so interesting. What activates the disciples to finally speak about it? See, this is interesting because this isn't like they speak about it because they're just so confident, which is what you're kind of going, well, I'll start talking about this. I'll actually pray with the, the person who says, hey, would you pray for my ankle? And you go, let's pray right now, right? Not write it down, maybe talk about it in the quiet later, but what activates this isn't that you finally have all your worldview and everything understood. In fact, you know what activates it? Remember that word I told you just a little while ago? It's actually the perishing. The perishing. The perishing. What activates this for the apostles and disciples and what should activate it for us isn't because we have it all figured out. is isn't because we have answers to all the questions. It actually is because we've come to the conclusion that we are heading towards a permanent destruction. And by that I mean, even as a, if you're not a Christian, don't know if you're a Christian, one of the things you've got to consider is what really does happen when all this is over. Listen to me. I'm not trying to fear, do, offer fear and that kind of stuff, but your body, you know this. Oh, do you know this? Your body, right the second, is perishing. You got it? Like, your knees are deteriorating, your ankles, and we can do reconstructive stuff. We can do all sorts of stuff. Gravity is not very nice to us, right? Not nice to our faces. That's why I don't smile. I just don't smile. I'm not going to smile at you, but it's because I don't want those things here. So it's just easier just to never smile. So I don't want all the wrinkles, right? Because my body, hear me, hear me, is perishing. You know that. Like, this isn't even like a Christian worldview thing. We are perishing, right? Like, and, and you know this about all things. All things. It's not like you just set them out there and they move to like nice and orderly. Think about your yard, right? If you don't think about it, it is perishing. It is moving to death and chaos, 
right? I mean, it's just growing weeds everywhere. If you don't stay on it, if you don't work on it, right? Everything moves down the pattern of perishing. So this isn't, this isn't something that just Christians got to think about. We all got to go, look, the water is filling our boats. And it might be filling it slow or it might be filling it fast. And you might be experiencing some real flooding right now. And others of you are going, ah, not too bad right this second. But it is filling. And as we come to that conclusion, right? When we come to the conclusion, we got to go, okay, if we're perishing, can we save ourselves? Nope. Where's your faith? Our faith has to be leaned in fully to Christ. And what's so interesting, I want you to hear this. Jesus actually uses this word perishing in another passage. And eventually, about a month, and, month from now, a month and a half, we'll get to this passage, but I just want to go ahead and read it to you. So Jesus is talking to his disciples and explaining to them how they live in and experience the kingdom of God. So I'm going to read to you his words, and then I want to invite you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to bring it front. For those of you online, here in the room, in the program, I'm going to invite you to actually, for the first time, to Christ, hear this, think it, and finally speak about it. When I'm talking about speak about it, I'm going to invite you to actually speak to the God of the universe and call him Lord. And here's what the scriptures say. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord is saved, right? In other words, they get to the experience the kingdom of God through faith by speaking. Because faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the word of Christ. And as you hear it, you get that opportunity. I'm not going to make you speak it out loud. I'm not going to bring you up front. But I'm telling you, that's what we're going to wrap up today before we sing the last song. I'm going to give you the opportunity as you think about this to finally, maybe for the first time, or maybe for the first time you fully get it with the knowledge that we got today. Maybe for the first time you get to speak it. And just walk out of here with assurance going, I know Christ. I've placed my Christ in him. So Jesus, my faith in him. So Jesus is talking to the disciples. And he tells them what it looks like to experience the kingdom of God here and for all eternity. But he says something really strange. Luke chapter 9, verse 24. Let me read it to you. For whoever. That word there literally means it is available to all. It is all-inclusive. Whoever. Meaning it's available to you, it's available to your kids, it's available to your grandkids. It's available to every nation, tribe, tongue, race, ethnicity. Like this is Jesus establishing the Imago Dei, meaning we are all image bearers of him. So he goes, whoever, whoever what? Would save his life will lose it. You know what that word lose is there? Ha ha! It's perishing. He's literally going, this isn't bad news when you come to the conclusion that you're perishing, right? It's actually where it begins. You want to save your life. The way that you save your life will be that you acknowledge and understand that your life is perishing. You lose your life. It's no longer just your life. There's a birth to death plan and that has this, you know, this human body that you got. But that body is perishing. And the way by which you come to the conclusion and access God for all eternity, it's actually to come to the conclusion that you are perishing. You cannot save yourself. You cannot fix yourself. That should not be offensive to you. That should be so freeing. Right? That means it's all-inclusive, anyone and everyone, because we all are perishing. You want to get in on it? Really, really simple. Everyone wants to save his life. He loses it. He sees that it's going to permanent destruction. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Got it? So you want to try to earn this activity on your own? Here's what's going to happen. You're going to perish. You want to acknowledge that you're perishing? Lose it on your own? Come to that conclusion as you think about it? And offer it to me? You'll save it. So, want to try to save it? Want to try to fix it yourself? You're going to perish for all eternity. 
if you want to access eternal life, the conclusion is you acknowledge that you're perishing, that you can't fix yourself. And then Jesus, so kindly here, offers such a beautiful, beautiful logical conclusion. Here's what he asks. I want to ask you the same question. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? What does it profit if it's all about your activity, have all the things in the world, but in the process of trying to earn your salvation, fix your marriage, take care of your finances, all on your own? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world in your short little earthly body and loses, perishes, or forfeits? Really, really interesting. That is a that's a decision. So he's going, there's two things. Some of you are going to just perish because you're not going to be aware because you're going to be so busy with the activity. Others of you, you're literally in the process of forfeiting yourself, right? You're saying, God, I'm not interested in your kingdom. I just want my own. He's going, what does it, what good does it profit a man? What is it good does it profit you if you have this great life for 80, 90, 100 years and then you perish? Or what good does it do for you to do all those things and then you just, forfeit this eternal kingdom that's available to you that can happen now that you can live in now that jesus can speak into and calm no matter what the storm is not that he's going to fix the storm in all the cases but he sure will offer you calm in the middle of that storm so what good does it do to try to earn it and fight it and do all those things what good does it do to make your activity be the thing that determines your identity and instead wouldn't it just make sense that you just acknowledge god i cannot do this I am not Lord of my own life. I am not Lord of the natural. I'm not Lord of my home. I'm not Lord of my family. I'm not Lord of my finances. I cannot do it. And then you just acknowledge it. And Jesus goes, whoever loses his life for me, my sake, will find it. So as a believer, really, really important that we double down on this, this divided heart that goes, God, you can be Lord of this things, but not these things. How do we invite Jesus into all of it and go, oh, I cannot do this on my own. I cannot do this on my own. And even if I could, it does not get me access to the kingdom of God, God's spirit, or eternity, or heaven on earth. So what good does it do? For non-Christians, really, really great opportunity for you finally, as you've heard about this. And think about it, because faith comes from hearing. So you're going, I think, I think, I think I understand. I, I think I want in on that. That's not me. I'm not that good of an orator. You picked up on that, right? The Holy Spirit is talking to you and going, isn't, finally at the time for you to just go yep god it's all you i'm i acknowledge and it's really really simple you acknowledge that you're perishing you acknowledge that you have gone down a path of forfeiting your soul of choosing your own path being your own god and trying to fix things on your own and the more broken your life is now the easier this is but for all of us what you do is you just acknowledge that jesus is lord and you confess with your mouth meaning you call him lord that word means boss you invite him into every nook and cranny of your life and it won't get fixed overnight it's a little bitty seed and it will start to grow but the way by which that seed grows the way that by which it is nourished it's all jesus it's all his work it's all his spirit it's his work it's your witness but it starts with you inviting him in so just for a second the band's gonna come up and i just would ask you if you're right here just bow your heads if you don't mind if that's weird for you that's okay uh just kind of help us focus if it actually makes it harder for you to focus you're welcome to keep looking if you're online i just say i don't know how it is like pause for a second or find a spot you can actually pause the the tv or your phone and come back to this in a second as you find a spot if you're out in the parking lot for just a second all across the place would you just
pause for a second. In just a second, I'm just going to interrupt this pause and invite you to make these, this statement to God. Before I do that, certain teams like the Holy Spirit will want to speak to you. And what I don't want to do is get in the way of him speaking. So there's going to be about 45 seconds or so of silence. So I'll come in in just a second for just a second. Pause. You've heard God's word. What do you think about it? And then I'll give you some opportunities to speak about it in just a second. Now, if you're hearing this for the first time, this understanding where you've crossed over from ignorance to knowledge, not in an in offensive way, then this probably doesn't make a lot of sense to you. Going, is it really that simple? Like, is it, is it really just that? I just acknowledge that I'm losing my life, that I'm not in control, that I've just messed it up. I've walked away from God. I didn't know God. I turned my back on God. I just literally come to that conclusion and then invite him to be Lord of it, and that's it. And it's like, yes, that's it. That's why the gospel is so amazing. It's not your work. It's his work. It's not your activity. It's his activity. And you receive it, and your identity is changed. And so it's just really this simple. You want to just step into the kingdom, be ushered into the kingdom. You just acknowledge the same thing the disciples did, that you need help and you need saving, so you can just talk to God right now and just say something like this in your head. You want to say it out loud? You can just tell God, I think I forfeited my life. I think my life's perishing. I've chosen my own plan. And you can acknowledge, maybe it hasn't worked out well for you. You know what you can do now is you can just tell him you're sorry. Tell him you're sorry that you didn't understand this, that you understand what the gospel really was, this good news, didn't understand how you received salvation. You can acknowledge him that you thought it was your performance. Just tell him you're sorry. Sorry for living this part of your life so far without him. And then right the second, you can just tell him that you don't want to move a step further without him anymore, and you want him to be Lord of your life. So this is, this is the moment. Scripture tells us, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. So in this moment, where you told Jesus that you want him to be Lord of your life and mean that. And mean it. And just like that. So crazy. You won't feel it yet. Breathe this seed that starts to grow. You have just crossed over from death and perishing into life now and for all eternity. That's it. That's it. Like you just cross over. So could you just tell God in this moment, thank you. Thank you for what you did, Jesus. Thank you that you paid for me, that you made a way where there was no way. You could just thank him for a second. And then I want to challenge you with something, not right now, but for later. Remember, you hear about it, and you think about it, and speak about it, and at some point, those words that come out of your mouth or from your keyboard into an email or into a message. And so if that's what you did, if you've got a bulletin or would you just let us know? Would you just say, I just asked him to be Lord? You can text us, 610-869-2140. You can just text those words. You can write on the back. You can send us an email, info at CLC family. You can go to the connect card, or you can just come find me right after this and go, I asked him so I can celebrate you, and we can just firm up the vocal words. Or online, you can literally just click a little, I ra- you can raise your hand in that moment just to acknowledge this. 
we can celebrate Jesus, celebrate with you about a brand new identity and your opportunity into the kingdom. So Jesus, for the ones who crossed over from death to life, from perishing to thriving and flourishing, God, for those of us in this moment, God, I just praise you for what you do and the way that you speak and make yourself known. And God, for so many of us who are walking with you, would this just firm up a belief that you are the Lord of the natural things? And so God, as we sing this song together, as we sing about where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And then we just declare that we are free. Amen. Will we use that word appropriately, God? Amen. Will we declare it as truth and certain and right? Will we declare these words of yours as true through the way that we sing in these moments? So we've heard about it. We've thought about it. And we speak that we are free. And we speak and we affirm these words with the word amen. And so Jesus, would you hear our voices and our, see our hearts in these moments as we conclude. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Would you all stand with me if you're in the room? You're welcome to step out of your car. If you're out in the parking lot or you can stand in your living room as we declare these words as true today.
great thing to sing. We're free. We may not feel it as Josh said right now, but it's true. And so may that truth define our existence, may it define who we are, and may it define how we go about our days. I'm going to send you guys off with a passage from Romans chapter 15 verses 5 to 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Thank you guys so much for being here. We will see you next week.